Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. When uh, God called me into the ministry, or began to call me into the ministry, I resisted quite vehemently. I did not want to be in the ministry. Uh, there were about 14 pastors in my family at the time, and when we would get together for family gatherings, it was usually discussions about how the sheep bite, and uh, you being the sheep, and they bite pastors. And so I, it's just not something I wanted to be was a minister. But when God called me, I understood that that call was meant that I had to go to school. And so I, I was working at UPS at the time, and I left my job and began seminary. And I'm grateful for my t- three graduations, twice from Southern with a Master's of Divinity, uh, a Master's of Theology, and then a PhD. Uh, I'm grateful for my education. One of my heartfelt commitments and understandings is that any church staff person that's going to serve in a position that's paid, they need to know that God has called them to that position. We cannot pay people that have not been called by God to perform a professional service for the church. And so when South Jefferson called me, I sat down with the two people besides myself who were on staff at the time, and we had a discussion about, has God called you or in you, are you in this capacity for some other reason? And I said, I want you all to take a couple months to pray about it and think about it. One person came back and said, you know, God has not called me to this. I'll resign. And they told me when they would resign, and he did. But Jacqueline came back and said, you know, God has called me to vocational ministry, bivocational at the time. And uh, she said, I'm going to start seminary. That was 10 years ago. She has stayed by the stuff. In the seminary, she's a professional. She has her master's degree from uh, University of Florida State Seminoles, uh, from Florida State. And she's a professional. She's the department chair, the English department chair at ECTC. And so she's, she's a professional person, professionally trained and classically trained in literature. Even though she held that capacity at ECTC, God's call upon her life was so strong that she committed to the program of study for the Masters of Arts in Music Leadership from Southern Seminary. And Jacqueline just walked the aisle this week and graduated. Uh, And in the grand scheme of things, it means that she's a professional minister. Uh, A master's in any any degree from a seminary qualifies you as a professional minister. And so not only is she a professional in in her capacity as a, a department chair at ECTC, but she's also a professional when it comes to ministering for the kingdom of God. And so I'm, I'm grateful for her sacrifice. When she started school, Charlie wasn't here. He was or he was four, he was here. Uh, but you know, started school at seminary with a four-year-old. Charles, God bless you. Yes. <laughs> because without the support of a faithful spouse, she could never have completed the course and of parents and grandparents that helped along the way. So we want to say, Jacqueline, thank you. Yeah, we need to stand up. This is, yeah, stand up and give her a stand. Yeah.
I would, I would encourage you and want you to um, go back, so I'm going to cry, and listen to Jacqueline <laughs> sing and lead worship from about 2011 or 2012. She couldn't carry a tune. Today, this song was sung with eloquence. Her tonality, her enunciation, her pronunciation, her vocality, all of that is a result of her seminary experience, and it's all to give God the glory. So thank you, Jack, and God bless you. Join me in Hebrews, <clears throat> and I appreciate Jacqueline. You know, I, I need strong people in my life. And Jacqueline, and you know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Sometimes she can just put the wood or put the iron to me. Uh, and I am very grateful for her, her, her personal strength, but also her personal confidence, because it's not easy to tell your pastor sometimes or your boss, hey, you're wrong. Uh, but I'm grateful that she, in a tremendous prayer, servant of the Lord. Anyway, I appreciate you, Jacqueline. Join me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 this morning. There's a little old lady who, was, who very much loved the Lord. And she loved the Lord so much that, that, that she started every day the same way. She would walk out to her front porch. She would raise her hands to heaven and she would say, I praise you, God. Thank you for this day. And then she would go back in. And she did that every day. I praise you, God. Thank you for this day. Whether it was raining, snowing, sunshine, it didn't matter. It happened that an atheist moved in next door to her. Now, you know, atheists, they don't believe in God and don't like anything about God. And it really irritated this atheist whenever she would walk out and say, I thank you, God. I praise you, God, for this day. One day he knew that she did this every morning, so he stood out in the bushes. And she came out, lifted her hands, and began to speak. Before she could speak, he said, There is no Lord! Huh? And walked into the house. She raised her hand. I praise you, God. Thank you for this day. Well, she was a senior adult. And as it happens to senior adults, when the weather is bad, you can't always get out. And so on a particularly cold, wintry, snowy week, she had been snowed in and unable to get out, and she had depleted her supply of groceries. She was running out of food, but she was still hungry. And so on this morning, she walked outside, raised her hands toward heaven, and said, God, I need groceries. I can't get out, and I have no money right now to pay for them. Send me groceries. Thank you for this day. Well, the atheist was self-shoveling his driveway, and he heard her say that. He thought, well, I'll show you. He went to the grocery, bought her groceries, more than a week's supply. Before she went outside the next morning, he set the groceries on her front porch and waited. And she came out, saw the groceries, and she raised her hands toward heaven and said, God, thank you for feeding me with these groceries. The atheist jumped out and said, God didn't do that. I did. She raised her hands to heaven. She said, God, thank you for these groceries, and you made the devil pay for them. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. Now, I'm going to tell you, today's passage, there, there's nothing mysterious about it. This is not like rocket science. When we get to the end of this message, you're going to be like, 
I already knew that stuff. And so I'm telling you ahead of time, this is not going to be earth shattering. It's not going to be fabulously faith moving. But nonetheless, it's true. And it's about staying in the race. I'm going to tell you, it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in this world. It's hard on moms. It's hard on dads. It's hard on kids. I mean, the, the, the climate and culture in schools today, I, I don't even know how kids can survive the onslaught of evil that's put before them from every angle. It's just everywhere. For us, it's important to know that God still works just like he did in that senior adult lady's life. He does grand and glorious things. Now, this passage is really straightforward, and it's about learning how to be kingdom finishers for God's glory. I mean, we want to finish well, and it's about how to stay in the race. See, centuries ago, the early believers, the early church, they decided that their lives are going to be lived with intentionality. They weren't going to live the Christian life accidentally. They were going to be very intentional about living their life for God and His glory. So they determined that their lives were going to count for something, that they were going to be available for God to use. Now, perhaps we could make a similar commitment. God, I want my life to count for you. I want my life to have meaning for you and your glory. And the Bible tells us that these people begin a faith journey. It tells us in, Act, in Hebrews chapter 10 through 12 that, that these believers began their faith journey. And, and as time progressed, they grew more intimate with God, grew closer to God. Their understanding grew. And with their understanding, their commitment to God also grew and developed and began to flourish. And they began to see a, a course, really, for their life unfolding right before them. Now, the writer of Hebrews suggests that there is a race to run. And it's not so much a foot race, but as in all races, there's a race to win and there's a race to lose. There's a, a prize to claim and there's a prize to forfeit. Now, these people stepped out onto the course and they began the race. And they were deliberate in their devotion to God and not a foot race but a serving God commitment. Serving God in a meaningful way. And they were deliberate. And they worked as hard as they could, always remaining faithful to the call of God upon their lives. And when the, the, the journey turned uphill, they found strength to press on. When they found themselves alone and in a solitary place, they found friendship in God. And when it was difficult... And when their faith was being tested, no matter what, Hebrews tells us that these people, they were astonishing because they stayed the course. And they did because they could see the prize. The prize was the finish line. But these people weren't able to finish. Not because their faith failed, but God didn't design the original people that started the race, the journey of the kingdom, God's design did not include them finishing the race. They were never intended to finish it, just to begin it. Others were to finish. They turned and handed the responsibility of the race of the kingdom work eventually to us, like you'd hand it a baton to someone 
in a race. We have been handed what they started. And the testimony of their journey really is one that encourages us to be finishers, to stay in the race. So join me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. We find there, page 975, there in your pew Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and those are the people that started the race, this great cloud of witnesses. It's not talking about people up in the sky. It's talking about the people, our predecessors who began the kingdom work. It says, therefore, since we have, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, you don't have to be a Christian for very long. I mean, actually just a few minutes, maybe, before you begin to realize that God has something for you. I mean, once you enter into that relationship with God, you feel it. I mean, almost immediately. But especially over time, you begin to sense that God has something for you to do. And it's something more than, than really what you've been doing already. And a committed faith is a faith that makes the follow through possible to, to finish it. And if we're going to stay in the race, it begins with a committed faith. It means trusting God with all that you are, all that you have, and all that you will become. So from this passage, I want to share a few characteristics, four, nothing profound, about how to stay in the race. How do you stay there? How do you stay a strong Christian when the world around you is collapsing? And our world is collapsing morally. I mean, the rate of decline morally in our world is accelerating. What are we, what are we supposed to do? I mean, we can't just let ourselves flow with the current. We're Christian folk. What do we do? Four ideas that hope open your eyes to what it means to have a committed faith so that you can stay in the race and be a finisher. The first comes out of uh, chapter one, or chapter verse one, that first part. And to stay in the race, believers need to be clean people. Now, I'm not talking about being bathed regularly when I'm talking about clean. See, God is concerned about our progress. He's concerned about how we're moving forward in the faith, and he's concerned about anything that might hinder us. I grew up on a farm, and one of the vegetables that we raised almost every year were lima beans. And if you've ever raised lima beans, I love lima beans. I mean, I can eat just bowls of them. I love them. It's one of my favorite beans. But lima beans are a very fragile plant. If you've never raised them, you, you may not know. If you have raised them, then, then you know full well about the fragility of a, a, a lima bean plant. But when a, we, we would plow the, the field. And when I say plant a garden, you know, there were 11 of us. And so on the farm, and so our gardens were like four acres. I mean, it, it wasn't like what I have at my house that's the size of a postage stamp. I mean, these are real gardens. And we would have bushels and bushels of lima beans. 
But we would plow the field and, and we would prepare the soil like we always did. And we would plant the beans very carefully in the row, cover them with dirt. But then we'd wait for them to come up. Now, when a lima bean comes up, the, it pokes the, the crook of its sprout up first. And then the bean part that becomes the first leaves pushes up second. So the sprout comes up, the little crook in the, and that little crook is as fragile as anything you can imagine. If you just barely touch where that little crook is, it's going to break that lima bean right there and it's going to die. And so my grandfather, my, my dad, would wait for the lima beans to begin to come up. And this was about a week-long process. Every time they would begin to show up, we would go out into the field and with our hands, we would move the clods of dirt off of the lima beans because that clod of dirt, a clod of dirt that size would break that lima bean stem. And so we would very carefully go in and, and push the dirt off the lima beans so that when it came time for the, the bean part that becomes the leaves to, to push through and, and to turn up so that it wouldn't break off. And my grandfather, my papa, was very careful to remove any hindrance out of the way of those seeds so they would grow properly. What I was learning is dirty beans break. Beans bound up in dirt are going to break. And, and what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, that dirtiness, which we would call sin, dirtiness in the life of a believer has a profound effect on our lives, on our lives and how we move. See, sin, at the very least, it hinders. It hinders. At the very worst, it kills you. But at the very least, it hinders. Now, we're Christian folk. We've accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord. Christians will accomplish more for God when they're living clean lives. And I'm not talking about taking a bath and getting physically clean. I'm talking about being spiritually clean. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our righteousness or clean the dirt away. If you and I hope to be finishers for God's kingdom, Christians got to be clean people. The, the more we allow sin to, to accumulate in our life, and folks, we got to be intentional about being clean. That means we, we guard what goes into our ears, and we guard what goes into our eyes, and we guard what goes into our mouth, and we guard what comes out of those three places. Because sin hinders. If we want to be clean people, We've got to be intentional. Now, this first verse tells us and helps us understand that, that sin slows us down. It ties us up so that we don't get very far in the race. We won't accomplish as much for the kingdom. And in truth, hindered believers don't finish a lot of races. A lot of times they go on to be with the Lord while they're on the course. They don't ever really finish. There was a lady sitting in a country store or in a country service one day and the preacher was preaching about sin and when you need to confess your sins. And at the end of the sermon, she went up to the preacher and she says, does you fess them as you does them or does you bunch them up? Do you fess them as you does them or does you bunch them up? The preacher says, no, you fess them as you does them which means we're to confess our sins as we commit them, as we do them. Don't let them build up. Because when sin builds up in our life, you better believe it's going to slow you down. 
you're not going to hear God's voice. You're not going to want to read the Bible. You're not going to want to pray. So confess our sins to Him and repent. To finish the race, we've got to be clean. As clean as we can be. Second, to stay in the race, <clears throat> believers need to run with endurance. Notice the word perseverance there in the last part of verse 1. A persevering person, and you know what it means to persevere. And you understand the concept of persevering, but a persevering person is someone who maintains the course despite the difficulties and despite the obstacles. It's a confession. I know there's going to be difficulties. I know there's going to be obstacles, but I'm not going to quit the race. I'm going to persevere. It's the idea of endurance. Endurance is the power to last through the pain, to last through the hardship. It's the ability to continue despite the fatigue, despite the distress, and despite whatever adverse conditions we might experience. So often, believers give up when things get a little trying. That's what's been so concerning for churches around the world not just evangelical churches, but all churches of all denominations and all faiths. This pandemic has interrupted our gathering together. We should be full again, but we still got people staying home because we have COVID. Well, it's time to move on with life. Scripture says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We become weaker. It's harder to live the Christian life when we're not gathering together. And gathering together... It is Yes, it's for God's glory, but it's for us. When Christians come together, we were about the, I don't know, third or fourth person to arrive at Watson Lane yesterday out of our group. And I thought, wow, that's not many people. <laughs> but they just kept coming. till so we had 22 altogether counting the kids. I didn't count the kids. That's a lot of people. Our church was well represented there. We told Watson Lane, we love y'all. And we don't want to see y'all go. And we had fun interacting with the kids. But the more of us that were there together in that cafeteria at Watson Lane, the more fun that we had. We were all doing different jobs. No job was more important than the other. But we were all coming together, working for the common goal of inviting boys and girls, moms and dads, to church, to vacation Bible school, to endure the ability to stay in it and not give up. I mean, sometimes we want to quit when it gets a little messy. We may not want to, to finish. We want to throw in the towel and, and give up. But God has called us to endure through the tough times. I mean, God knows when you're being slammed. He knows everything. So when you feel the, the weight and the pressure on you, for, for, God already knows. God knows. So let the wind blow, let the rain pour, let the tempest rage, but never give up. Keep going. One of my dearest friends told me one time, keep loading the wagon, Brother Richard. Just keep loading the wagon. No matter what else happens, keep loading the wagon. What he's saying is keep to the kingdom work no matter what's going on. Just keep loading the wagon. See, we become enduring perseverers through determination. It's by requiring ourselves to stay the course, to outlast the hardship, no matter what it is, to make up our mind never to quit, never to lay down. Several years ago, a friend shared with me this little poem, and I'll read it slowly. 
But it says, the road to success is not straight. We get it. And so here, if the road to success was a straight road, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd all just run right to success. But the poem says this, there's a curve called failure, a loop called confusion, speed bumps called friends, red lights called enemies, caution lights called families. You'll have flats called jobs. But if you have a spare called determination, an engine called perseverance, insurance called faith, a driver called Jesus, you'll make it to that place called success. Christians, our role, or we fulfill our role in the race by running the race and not giving up. Yes, there are obstacles to overcome, but by God's grace, there is no obstacle too great for you to overcome. See, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It doesn't matter what obstacle you find in your path. If you're committed to staying the course, to being faithful to God, there's not, there's not an obstacle too big for you to overcome. There's not one. Three, to stay in the race, believers need to know where the finish line is. You got to know where you're running. You got to know how, how, when you get there. What was Jesus's finish line? I was thinking about this. If we all have a finish line to get to, what was Jesus's finish line? Now, we, we want to say the cross, don't we? That Jesus had his face set like flint towards Jerusalem, that his finish line was the cross. Jesus' finish line was not the cross. Jesus' finish line was the right hand of the Father. He needed to get back from whence he came. He left the realm of glory, laid all aside his laid all of his deity aside to assume the, the flesh and blood of a person so that he could be tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet without sin. So the cross wasn't the finish line. Yes, he had to pass through the cross to get there, but the cross for Jesus was to get back from whence he came, at the right hand of the Father. See, knowing the location of the finish line is important. It tickles me that people watch NASCAR, and I know a lot of you are NASCAR fans, but to me, well, I just don't understand it. You strap around a circle all day. And, and you know, there's, 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 it's just a circle. And you just go around in a circle. And so NASCAR drivers, it's not real hard. I mean, you, you, to figure out which direction to go. I mean, you just everybody's going in the same direction and you just drive in circles. But I bet in your world, it's just a little bit different. I bet in your world where you live, on your street, in your house, it's not just a bunch of no decision kind of circles. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to get up in the morning, to jump into your shoes with all the enthusiasm that you can muster, and then to take off running for a finish line, but you don't know where the location is? Can you imagine? Just jumping into your shoes, running out the door and say, I'm going. Well, where? If you don't know where the finish line is, might as well not even put your shoes on. Because you're going to be like an NASCAR driver and just going around in circles. Not to knock NASCAR drivers. We've got to know where we're headed. One of my favorite pictures, and I have looked for, we were early in the, young in the ministry, 
uh, maybe two years into the ministry, and we didn't have two dollars. And if I'd have had the money, I would have bought this painting. And and but the, the the most my most favorite picture of Jesus is one where, and I've never seen it since, is that Jesus is leaning back on a rock. He's got kids climbing all over him, and he's in this big belly laugh. <laughs> I mean, he's just laughing and so happy and full of life and joyful. And, and it, to me, it's the scene of who the, the Jesus that people saw every day. Just a wonderful scene of Jesus full of joy with children around him, climbing all over him. See, we've got to know where to run to. If we don't know where to run to, we'll run to everything else, trying to get to where we want to run to. I mean, we'll run to everything. And whenever we're running and we're running to the wrong things, I mean, we eventually figured out, oh, we should not have run to this one. This is a flop. This is a failure. But you lose ground. You lose momentum every time you run to the wrong place. I mean, why do we do that? Why do we run to everything before we run <clears throat> to God? I mean, if you don't know where you're headed, then how will you know where you're going? I mean, it'd be like just getting in your car and say, I'm going to go to work, but you don't know where work is. How will you know when you get there? How will you know if you're on the right course? Well, we're given a fantastic clue in verse 2. And I, I love what it says in verse 2. The writer says in verse 2 to the finish line for us to stay on the course he says, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. I told you, that's not rocket science. <laughs> you already knew that. But it's just, to, it, it, the clue to, to doing this is about concentration. Do you remember your children's first steps? I remember when Grant started walking. He, was, he, had, he had like a wounded soldier drag when he first started becoming mobile. And now he goes everywhere. I think his family calls him a bulldozer or a tank truck or something because he just kind of, he, he kind of leans forward even if he's going uphill and just kind of like, you know, he's going to plow through it, whatever it is. But do you remember your children's first steps? Probably went something like this. Mom got on one side of the room and dad got pretty close, but on the other side of the room. And you set the little one down on the floor, but you had them hold on to your finger and you kind of walked along with them and then when they got over to mom or dad you said oh you made it you walked and you were so happy for them but a few days later you set the little one down and you didn't stick out your finger this time this time you said just walk now I want you to remember the day that you were brave enough that you let your child begin to walk alone. This is important. Dad over here, mom over there, but not too far apart. The little one wobbled and bobbled, but I want you to think for a moment. Where was the child looking? Do you remember where your little one fixed their gaze? That, that little one never took their eyes off of the one to whom they were walking. 
They never look down at their feet. That's why children fall all the time. They don't see the stuff on the floor, the tripping hazards, because they're looking straight ahead. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should walk around and be oblivious, oblivious to our surroundings, but I want to prove a point. That little one never looked around when they were learning to walk. They gazed into the eyes of the one to whom they were walking. I mean, they were like locked on. That little one never took their eyes off of mom or never took their eyes off of dad. And you never took your eyes off of that little one. Everybody was staring. We went to a comedian show one time and this guy brought out a dog and he, he set the dog on the, the platform and he pointed at a man in the front row <clears throat> and he said, he's staring at the man. And so the whole, during the whole routine, occasionally the comedian would say, he's still staring at the man. And everybody got a big chuckle out of it. But the mom and dad were still staring at the child. The child didn't know. You know, God's watching you. You don't even know it. You can be looking any direction, you're wherever. Guess where God's looking? <laughs> right at you. He doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss a thing. He can see when you're about to get in trouble, make a wrong decision. He puts up road signs and blocks and yields and that'll get us on the right path and to keep us on the right path. See, concentrating for God's children is like a child who's learning to take their first steps. Learning to walk spiritually for a Christian, it can be hard. We wobble and we hobble and we trip and we fall down, but God knows that. He knows that we're going to bumble and fumble around, but he never takes his eyes off of you. Not for a second. And he's doing that for all of us at the same time. That's why God's never caught off guard. He can anticipate our needs. So in the beauty of God's wisdom, he's telling us the secret in verse 2. He says, he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, there's stuff going on around you. Yeah, some of the stuff is bad, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Be like that child that's learning to walk who never took their eyes off of mom or dad. Don't ever take your eyes off Jesus. So don't be afraid just to look at Jesus and walk ahead. Stay in the race and be a finisher. And finally, number four, out of verse three, to finish the race, to stay in the race, you just got to have an I can attitude that I can. I can do this. We, we know that endurance means that you just don't give up, that you have something that wells up inside of you that says, I can't, I'm not, I won't give up. I'm not going to stop. And you've had times like that in your life when you've been so committed to something, it didn't matter what happened, you were not changing course. I'm going, it's going to happen. I'm committed. Now for the believer determined to work faithfully for the kingdom. We have to have that attitude. I'm just not. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult, no matter how many times they slam the door in my face. I remember the, the youth director that I had as a teenager, we went on door-to-door -door visitation every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. And I remember one day we were, went in this down the street. It was called Lighthouse or Candle Light or some kind of light. And when I knocked on the door, the thing that came out had looked like this. It was a double barrel shotgun. And it, I was 12 or 13 years old, and, and I had never had a double barrel shotgun this close to my face. 
Y'all know, I, I had to change my britches. I really did. And because it really scared the wadden out of me. Because I thought that man was going to shoot me. You know, sometimes there's some real opposition to Jesus. Yesterday we were distributing that material. Stephanie went to hand an invitation to a vacation Bible school to an individual. And the individual said, I don't want that. I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God. Okay, that's okay. You know? It was their choice. We're just making it available. They don't want it. We're not going to make you take it. Have the candy and the balloon anyway. Go throw the beanbag for a prize. When it gets tough, I can. I can do it. I can stay in the game. When we begin to doubt, when the journey is hard, Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not denying that bad stuff's happening to you, because it is. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. And remember, he passed through the cross for your salvation. Verse 3 tells us to think about all that he endured and all that he offers. And we gain strength by doing that. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I can. In Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul had an I can attitude. And he had an I can attitude all the way to glory. Paul said he could. You want to know something? You can too. You absolutely can. Because greater is he than anything else that's out there. Who's in you than anything else that's out there. You can stay in the race and be a kingdom finisher. And if this verse is true, then what, what would be impossible for you to do for the kingdom? Well, the answer is nothing. If we can, then we can keep going and keep knowing that we can. We're going to sing him invitation as Jacqueline comes. And I told you there was no mysterious, earth-shattering new information from this passage that I was going to share with you today because this passage is really pretty straightforward. It's about us learning how to stay in the race for God's glory. But, but really, here's the question during this time of decision. Right now, you have a relationship with God. Everybody does. There are people whose relationship with God is broken. There are people whose relationship with God is vibrant. There's a people whose relationship with God is growing. There's people whose relationship with God is dying. But you have a relationship with God right now today in some form, some fashion. Every person on the face of this earth has some kind of relationship with God. Some people hate Him. That's the relationship. But here's the question after this sermon. If you continue to live your life and remain in the same unchanged relationship with God that you have right now, how will your finish be? That's the question. How will you finish up if you stay where you are right now. Because if you stay where you are right now, you know what your finish is going to be. I'm not saying you got a bad relationship with God. I'm just asking you, based upon what we learn in Hebrews, just to ask yourself the question. If my life stays unchanged, how will it finish? Because one day we all will finish the race. We'll all breathe our last breath, we'll 
Everyone is destined once unto death. We'll all die. How will your finish be? We're going to sing this hymn of decision. If there's a spiritual decision that you ought to make, well, you ought to make it. That's why we sing this song. It's a chance for people to come and pray or to be prayed with. Let's stand together as we sing.